Thank you. That's very kind. Well, it is uh, it's a blessing to be here. We were with um, a lot of the DP team and Ben and Danielle for their wedding just now. And uh, I say we, that was actually Jacob and I. Karen didn't get to go, but uh, just now in Charleston. And so Jacob and I drove back on, I guess I got we got in about 3 a.m. on Saturday morning, technically. And how am I doing there? Am I doing okay? Trying to get it sorted out. Sorry, I forgot to put it on earlier. But because I wanted to be home on Saturday, that was the point I was trying to make. I hadn't had a lot of Saturdays home lately, and it was just nice to have a Saturday, but we are about to get on the road for real, for real. And actually, I leave on Tuesday with a couple of pastors that are we're going through to Zambia because we have an opportunity to just to give them a bit of an exposure trip because they want to invest in the Zambia project. So pray for them. This is an exciting thing. It's going to be, it's, uh, for those of you who've heard me talk about Zambia or who have been, you know, you just really can't get here or get there from here. I mean, it is this is incredible. It's a daunting task to be standing here right now and know that on um, Thursday I'll be in Mungu. Because just to think about that can be a little overwhelming, just what that means in travel. So, but we're actually renting a four-wheel drive and we're going to drive across the country, which is much easier. It only takes about seven hours from the airport in Lusaka. But anyway. Just trust that it's going to be a good God time. It is the craziest drive that I've ever done because you've got to really watch it. People are really bad about coming out on the road and that kind of thing. So if ever you want to just travel or pray for traveling mercies, that would be the right time to do that. Plus, I mean, a lion could walk out on the road. It's really that kind of sub-Saharan Africa. It's a really hectic place to drive. And we're going to make sure we only do that in the daylight. And um, anyway, did it in the dark last time. Then Karen... And um, the rest of the team, which will be five, will ultimately join us in South Africa. She and most of the rest of the crew leave next Sunday out of D.C., so they'll be heading out to come in and join us as well. So look forward to getting them there. And that's going to be a really awesome time, too. Um, basically what's going on with that is that Karen and Angela Carpenter, just allow me to give you just a real quick heads up on how to pray about that, but Thomas and Angela Carpenter... Um, you'll remember, is a couple that this time last year when Karen and I were in South Africa, we got word via just text messages in the middle of the night. Do you remember that there, Thomas's mom was driving the car that was in an accident. His mom was killed and their 10-year-old son was killed. And so Karen and Angela will be speaking at a women's conference called Redemption actually on the 20th of October, which is the one-year anniversary of the loss of Angela's son and mother-in-law. Can you believe it? Uh, so and I talked to her on the phone a couple of days ago. I, I had one of those dumb guy moments. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm pretty good at this point. I mean, 25 years of marriage, usually I'm attentive and perceptive. But I called Angela to talk about some plane ticket stuff. And about, I don't know, 30 seconds into the conversation, I said, Are you nasal? She said, No, I've been crying. Ah, how did I not know that's what was going on? Totally missed that it was emotion. I was like, you got a cold, don't you? <laughs> no, it's not a cold. Anyway, but she said, your, your call was so perfectly timed because she had just been at Buck School verifying a story that she's been telling uh, of a conversation that he had with his teacher uh, uh, actually about Africa just uh, days before he died. And so she had just left there, and she said, for you to call at this moment 
and to just talk to me about what we're going to do and what God's going to do and what we're going to be a part of is, is huge. So really a big part of that trip for us is, is being with them and facilitate ministry to them and for them. So pray for us in that, and, um, and then ultimately we'll find ourselves in Cape Town where, where there will be one more women's conference, which they're, they're really building. So Karen's been very nervous about that. I keep getting in trouble, and I'm like, I didn't, God, uh, kind of a thing. But anyway, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Jesus is going to show up and do what Jesus does, and then we'll be hanging around for about three weeks to... Um, be specifically really ministering in one church. And from there, we'll do lots of student ministry stuff. We're going to do some more Kaiapha stuff. We're going to work on helping some people launch and stuff like that. So anyway, I mean, there's a good seven weeks. You're sitting on the edge of your chair, which often means you need to say something else. Mitch reminded me that we had made a decision to take um, this month's missions offering. This is the first Sunday of the month Mm, for this trip. Oh, wow. So I was waiting until you finished. Oh, you said seven weeks. That's really gracious. But now I've interrupted. I used to decide what we did with the missions offering. I don't decide well, that anymore. Well, South Africa is on there. It is. Yeah. We actually made a plan to the end of the year. We just no. didn't exercise it last month. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. It'll be a huge blessing. Do you want to finish this? With I think I just finished. In Jeff's church, the name of that. Yeah, we'll be at the People's Church in Constantia for three and a half weeks. And then we will actually get to go see Paul and Marinette Vancala, who work with the Zambia Project, who are now with the church in George and help them with some student ministry stuff. So, Also, we have enough stuff to carry that we need a pack horse, which is why Jacob's going, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's really strong, but I'm kidding about that. Jake has so much ministry opportunity there, but one of his ministry opportunities is to carry an extra bag, and that's a true story. Uh, we love and appreciate you, and thanks for helping. Now, I'm having trouble with this. You know how it's bugging me? I think I'm going to take it off and hold that mic. Go ahead. Thank you for this trip. Hmm. Thank you that we get to sew. All right. I was so excited about getting to participate with it. I, I forgot about the basket, the logistical part. <laughs> so, um, Lord, we just thank you that you don't forget about the logistical part. Yeah, Jesus. The pieces that have to get there, and the way, <sighs> and the word, and the provision of health, um, of rest. Lord, just even as Ron took a breath, that you fill his lungs. <laughs> and so, Lord, we just thank you that we get to go with. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Get to go with. In mm-hmm. Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, I will say that we... Deeply appreciate the investment. The church, I'll tell you, as we continue to work through our transition to what God wants to do next with us, um, the way that this team of elders and this church has continued to just walk with us and care about us and invest in us has been um, really special. And you guys are giving us just the best opportunity to hear God and to do what God wants us to do. And um, which is what we're we're attempting to do is to hear God and to follow God. And so, I don't know. You know, I'm rarely at a loss for words, but in that, I feel like I'm just at a loss for words. I don't know what to say except that we really love and appreciate you. And uh, been gone a lot lately and miss you. Really, really do miss you. Um, and it's good to see you. Um, of course, here been walking through. Um, much conversation and dissertation about the fullness of relationship. And you have a couple of weeks left. Um, I know that I chatted to Rick and chatted to Mitch about some of the things that are up, some things about the practice of what it means to walk in relationship as a husband and a wife and as friends and as family. And so some of those things are still coming down the pipe 
And so there's, there's that still to be done. But I wanted to just jump in here for a second because I've been asking the Lord this because, I mean, whew, you know, I'm really in this place. I know we're really in this place of just, um, it is all about the relationship. Now, I know when someone says that, the first thing that, that I would want to say and you would want to say would be, well, right, I mean, for real, um, of course, obviously, been there, done that. You know, got the T-shirt, the T-shirt that says your religion uh, is against my relationship. You know, all that kind of stuff. But although that's what we know that we believe, it is a tension in this life to consistently live that as our reality, where it is about, and folk, our lives are focused on the relationship we have with Him, and actually flow out of that. So I asked God. I said, Lord, help me. Now, this is a lot for me personally, so just come along with me, will you? Um, but this is a lot for me personally about what are some statements that God would want to make to me, that God would want to make to us about his heart or his, um, his top considerations, if you will, about relationship. Literally about life lived in relationship with God. I was, this was my prayer. God, what are some statements you would want to make about that? What would you want to say about that? And so I want to share those with you because essentially the Bible is really it's, it's stories and truths recorded or in, the, in a narrative about relationship. It's about relationship, the relationship that we can have with God and how to go about having that relationship. That is to say that there's this, it kind of lays out, okay, you, the creation, a child of God can have a relationship with the Creator, your Father. So the Bible is a story about that. Would you agree? In fact, I could take the mic and carry it around. I would be curious this morning to say, okay, what are what would be a statement that you would make about relationship and specifically about relationship with God? The Bible is it's a narrative, it's a story, or a, it's an assortment of stories that add up to one big story about that, about that relationship. And it's not even just about how we can have it, but literally lays out a pattern and a plan that God made before the foundation of time so that we could have it. Because there was a severing or a separation in it, and then there was a restoration of it. That's, that's the gospel. That's the cross. That's the story of Jesus Christ. That is, that's the story of Emmanuel, right? Right? 78 days. Okay. That's the story. And it's a story of relationship and the relationship he wants to have with us. But it's not just that. It's also a story about the relationship that we have with each other. So the Bible is that story too. And it's a story also about the relationship that we have with the lost, with people who are estranged, who don't know that they are or that who they are in relationship to the Father, sons and daughters. And so the Bible has much to say, <laughs> suffice it to say, about relationship. Now for me, the word relationship... And the last time I spoke to you on August the 11th, I shared with you a word about how I can relate. And, and in that, we talked about what it means to relate, because it's kind of important to lay that out, too. And I know, again, you've had much conversation about this the last several weeks, so I'm kind of, this in, maybe in the form of a recap, I haven't been privy to all those words, but, but when I think about relate, I tend to go a little bit um, scientific, I guess, in my thinking. But, and, and you see this in the world. I think a lot about how things interact in our world. And we've done a lot to try to order those interactions to keep ourselves safe. You know, like stop signs, <laughs> okay, traffic lights, because we want our cars to interact in a way that we don't, you know, end up with a steering wheel in our spleen or something. And, 
And so we're trying to understand how we interact and relate to things. I think about the planetary systems and how they relate. That was one of the examples that I'd used with you before. Our, uh, specifically, our solar system. I'm pretty fascinated with that. I'm fascinated with the fact that the Earth is, and we know this is by the hand of God and by divine design, but that the Earth is a planet that sets in its orbit in a, in a place specific in its relationship to the sun. Come on, somebody. That'll preach. Right? Specific in its relationship to the sun so it can sustain life. Which honestly is really what we're talking about today. It's a beautiful metaphor. But the relationship we have with the sun, though that's primary, isn't the only relationship we have because the, the Earth's relationship to the other planets is also important. In fact... In this system, if one of the other planets were to pop out of orbit, it could catastrophically impact our own orbit. And therefore, and our relationship to the sun and, and this planet's ability to sustain life. So it's interesting to me, those relationships. Now the sun, you know, the sun is, it has such a magnitude and, a, and because of its mass or magnitude, it has such an incredible gravity that it draws all the, all the other planets to itself and keeps them safely in their orbits. Uh, come on, come on. I'm still preaching. And there's a lot to that. That's how it works in God's world too. So it's so critically important. So the first statement I want to share with you, kind of in relationship to that about relationships, is this, that order is important. This is the first statement. So life living in relationship with God. God, what are some statements you want to make, would want to make? Number one, order is important. Got to get the order right. Uh, God is first. He's primary in Mark 1230, Jesus tells us that our principal relationship is with him. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Now, Jesus was really quoting what God had already said to the children of Israel from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 13. In fact, this is a theme in the whole Bible, right? This is just a consistent theme. Hear, O Israel, Moses said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Stop. Heard the Holy Spirit say, stop. This is a problem. This is a problem. This is why I don't like bumper stickers. Because some things we've seen or heard so much that they start to lose their weight with us. What's your point, Ron? What are you trying to say? Seriously? Look at verse 5. I don't know. What am I trying to say? What's the application of this? Seriously? Look at verse 5. Isn't that a pretty good list? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Check us, Holy Spirit. Show us. Help us not to be someone who would look at our face in a mirror and see ourselves and walk away. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Well, he took this seriously too. Like he wanted to, he wanted literally to tattoo our spirits with this reality. He said, and you shall teach them diligently. Well, now there's a good word too, to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. He was saying, please, 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 please. Make this a matter of conversation. Chat it up. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk, talk about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord. Sorry. <laughs> I just 
I mean, this, this whole idea that we would keep God first, man, it's something we've got to check ourselves. We've got to stay consistent in our conversations. I say this a lot. You've heard me say it. We don't talk about Jesus enough. I mean, the way to keep God first is to keep God first. That's how you do that. I don't always do that very well, by the way. Like, if you measure what's first by what I talk about and by what I'm focused on, it is not God. But I heard God say about relationships and walking in fullness of relationships that order was important. We get busy building. We forgot the foundation. Keep reading. Okay. I should probably quit telling you what the Holy Spirit's saying to me instead of to you. So I'll stop doing that. Stop. Start talking again. Okay, I will. Verse 8. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I think the message here is just that God wants God to be obvious. These truths about God that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He was saying, please, emphasize that. Remember that. Make yourself remember it. Make it obvious to you. Bring you and, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that... You did not build. Somebody said that recently in a political context. You did not build that. Okay, that's true here. That's actually true. You did not build it. And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. And sisters that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, when you are blessed, and you are tempted to believe that somehow you acquired this of your own abilities of volition. Remember, he says, then take care, lest you forget how to keep God first. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 13, some pretty good instruction. Take care that you, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I mean, Robbie's song he sang earlier. Whew. Hmm. It's all well, that you wrote, the Lord gave you. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall live or swear. And the same theme is reiterated throughout the Bible. Putting God first in our lives is the most important decision we can make, and it's the decision we have to make all day, every day. Order is important. Matthew 7 again reiterates this. Jesus said in verse 24 through 27, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. A lot of scripture there. Y'all cool with that? All right, all right. I don't know why I asked because I'm not going to deviate from this anyway. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Foundation first. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. But here's the question that I would ask. I've taught this passage lots and even here, and there's lots to say about it, which I won't say today, but I would ask you this, because he says in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. What words? 
What word? Let's back up and see. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now let's, there's some misunderstanding. I'm not trying to call anyone's salvation into question here. But I am pointing out to you that if we build on anything other than the foundation that is our relationship with God. That was a really poor statement. I just said if we build on any other foundation other than the foundation that is the relationship, and the reality is there is no foundation. There's just sand. Go, Jonathan. (laughs) Order is important. Romans 13.9 For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's not only instruction about God first, but then there's instruction about the relationship we're called to have with other people. There is an order. And order is important. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. And we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. When we put God first, we can rightly love and care about others. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, speaking to the Corinthians about the Macedonians, Paul said their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty was overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Isn't that such a great statement? Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody made them. They just were relating to a need that they saw because God was first. And and let me clarify that or qualify that statement about them because Paul wrote in verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They wanted to participate. He says, because... And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. Francis Chan says it this way about that order. He says, others above self and Christ above all. The second statement I heard him make, because I need to move. First, order is important. There's more to be said about that. But number two, continuing is critical. Continuing... Very important. Yoda would have said it this way if he were quoting from John chapter 8 and verse 31. Just to follow this reality that order is important and now to segue to continuing is critical, free the truth will set you. The truth you know, truly my disciples you will be if in my word you continue. Or... John 8, 31, if you prefer it. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, and that's an important phrase, that that introductory phrase there is important because understand this, that the Jews had lived a religiosity that was in many cases absent of relationship. And so Jesus said to them, if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I say that, I say that Yoda style because I want us to understand this, that often we go, we jump forward. We want to jump forward, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But, but we've got to understand that there's a continuing, that this willingness to continue to grow, and that being made free, we like that part, and I, I know I like that part, but to understand this, and, you know, I've joked with you before, and you should know the truth, and the truth shall make you mad. I mean, sometimes that's how that works. But if you continue, it's if you persist, if you continue to walk in the truth of God, that, that you are truly my disciples, you're my followers, you're really walking with me. And when that happens, man, God doesn't lead us to bondage. Follow God, you follow God too. Sometimes y'all got to talk about it a little bit. Hello, thank you very much. What's in a complicated question? You follow God, you follow God to freedom. Want to be free? Continue. Relationship, the fullness of relationship, follow God. Walk with God. Continue with God. And you know that passage is loaded with a big little word, right? Front loaded with the big little word, if. Which says to me that there's a choice for us. If. You continue in my word. That's a choice and we get to choose it. The reality is maybe, maybe we can even understand that this way because sometimes when we think about foundation, we think about, okay, we laid the chief cornerstone, we got in our, uh, you know, we, we made a choice and, and we've walked in grace and we've put ourselves in Christ and so not, not trying to draw anyone's salvation into question, we laid that stone and we have, Jesus is the chief cornerstone and now we're building a foundation and up goes the building but then the building often expands, so so does the foundation. The bigger the up, the deeper the down. Maybe a better way to look at that is to think about a tree and its roots, right? Maybe that's a little easier metaphor. Because a tree that's this tall doesn't have a really massive root, but relative to the percentage of growth up is the percentage of growth down. When we were just now along the coast and Jacob and I went to Folly Beach and went to the wedding and we've spent some time in, in the coastal area lately and Jacob was just saying, you know, I love sailboats. And one of the things I love about sailboats is there's so much up that there's a whole lot down. And you don't see sailboats in really shallow water and there's a reason for that, right? Or you think about just the, the incredible nature of an iceberg where there's so... And wouldn't it be great if that were true of our lives? Where what people could see. We, we would want to be ev evidence. We would want to be obvious in our world that there's a God and that you can trust Him and tell that story and live that story. But I hope that what you can see is significantly less than what you can't see about who God is in me. That there's even a deeper root. That, you know, and I'm concerned about sometimes that we might could even fake the fruit. But you can't fake the root. But I will say this, if you have a root, a deep root, you'll have, you'll bear some fruit. I would with bias, and I will admit my bias, say though that that act of kindness and appreciation toward Karen was, you know, God, to God be the glory, but warranted, and thank you. Because I know this lady where no one else knows her. And I don't say it enough, and I don't, I don't know how to proclaim it without it being inappropriate. And I am biased. But 
I, I mean, when we were in Folly Beach this weekend, and, and 4 in the morning, I get a phone call. It startled me significantly. And I'm on my way to the ER in Salem. Because there's a mama with babies, right, that needs help. And, and just the willingness to go. But, but the deeper the root, right, the more... And it's not always the things that people see. The willingness to serve and to sow comes from... Hear what I'm trying to say here. When I say root, really all I'm saying, that's just another way to say a deep and meaningful relationship with God. The fullness of relationship. That when we continue in His Word and we have that, and a willingness to continue to learn and grow. It's so critical. Do we have that today? Do we have a deep desire today to grow? And not just in the knowledge of God, but in relationship with God. Which comes with knowledge, FYI. But just, just to want to know Him and to know Him more. And I know we say that and it's the right thing to say. But what I said when I preached about I can relate was the proof is in the pudding. Right? One of the things that's fascinated me again, Karen, don't mean to make you such a topic of conversation. You're not going to want to come to the second service. It's going to get worse instead of better. But not so much just to talk, talk about you, but you're my example because Karen is a CPA. And so she, anyone who has a professional license, so there are all kinds of professional licenses, so you would understand this. But a part of the requirement to keep your professional license, in her case a CPA, is that every year she has to participate in the continuing education program. They have to do a CPE. I mean, they never, they're never allowed to stop learning. If they do, they lose their license. Thank God we don't lose our license. Thank you, Jesus. We didn't earn it, right? I mean, thank God for that. But, but just this willingness to continue to learn and grow. But some of us, and I'll throw myself at times in this category, you know, they say some people never learn anything because they know everything too soon. God help that not to be us. Because I heard Jesus say a statement that He would want to make about relationship is that continuing is critical. Now understand this again. I'll move on in a minute, I promise. But understand this, by the very nature of relationship and what a relationship is. I mean, it's not even that, that there's necessarily always more... I don't know exactly how, the, how you want to say this. It's not a matter of attaining, again, more knowledge, but it is that relationship itself mandates that we continue, or the relationship itself begins to die. It's not static. It's dynamic. And it takes... You know this with your friends. You know this with your family. It takes consistent and continual investment. Now, there are people in my life that I... I can go a year and a half without talking to. And the next time I talk to them, it's like we never stop talking. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, but, but it's not right that we treat God that way. Because it'll be true. We come back and it's like, oh God, it's so great. You're still gracious. You're just the way I remembered you. You still love me. You're still for me. But we miss so much. And I'm glad I've got friends like that, but they're not like the people I walk with. Our relationships don't have the same impact or effect. We're still friends. But we're talking about continue. Years ago, one of those friends like that for me, and I talk, I've been talking to this guy more, more frequently lately. But just a, a dear friend, but not someone my relationship presently has been very interactive with. But 
He was on staff with us when we were at Louisiana Tech and even came here with us when we came. His name is John Markin. Years ago, um, we helped a lot of international students, Indian students, Chinese students. And there was this one particular Chinese, or I'm sorry, Indian student, a young lady that I had picked up at the airport, and she was very choleric. Some of you have heard this story before. Very, very choleric, very strong-willed, very strong personality, temperament. And she came in uh, one day to my office. She, and she's, she's, well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> she was real strong. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but she came into my office one day and she says, I need to borrow your car. And she had never borrowed my car before. As far as I, I knew, she didn't drive. I'd never seen her drive. I'd taken her all kinds of places. She was really good at getting me to take her places. And she walks in and she says, I need to borrow your car. I said, okay. She said, I have to go take my driving test. I said, okay, well, I just, uh, do you drive? I know how to drive, she said. I know how to drive. I need, I must borrow your car. I have to take it today because I'm going to New York and so I need to, to borrow your car so I can get a driving license. And I said, well, I prefer that someone take you. It's fine, but someone needs to go with you to drive the car and make sure you, you know how to drive it, you know, just all the little nuances of the car, which was really code for, I wonder if this woman can even drive. And she said, okay, well, I must go now. And I said, well, I can't, I can't go right now. I'm right in the middle of something. I have an appointment in five minutes. I can go later with you, but I can't go right now. Well, John Mark was sitting over there, the good soul that he is. He said, well, I'll go. So he goes with her. Comes back about an hour later, white as a sheet, with a story to tell. He says, man. So we drove over to the abandoned Walmart parking lot, right, because the new Walmart, you know, everybody got to abandon them. Anyway, so they, and he said, we went over there, and she was very persistent. I know how to drive. Just let me drive. I must go take the test. And he said, we got in the parking lot, and she got in the car, and I got in the passenger seat, and she started to take off. And he said, right from the get-go, it was like, <laughs> just herking and jerking. And it was an automatic. Yeah. Well, he said, okay, that's no, just easy to the gas. He said, and then that was pretty scary and almost hitting post, and there's no cars in the lot. And he said, then I'm like, okay, uh, maybe just, no, I'm good, I know how to drive. Okay, well, let's try reverse. He said, in reverse was, it's full speed. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, break, break. Uh, and then they drove on the road. He said, and I'm thinking, you drove on the road? He said, she's pushy. He insisted on my house. I'm like, okay, take it easy. They got in the road that they were driving on. is a service road, but it turns onto a road that has a very deep ditch in the middle. And he said, as they were going, she went to make that 90-degree turn, and she never slowed. She was only going like 30, but she didn't slow down at all, and it was like, <laughs> He said they were heading straight for the crevice in the middle, and he grabbed the wheel and jerked it. And by now, he's just trying to catch his breath, and he said, two trash cans in a mailbox later. He moved his foot over and hit the brake. Killed the car and pulled the key. And he said, you can't drive anymore. What was hilarious about that was that when they had gotten back to the house, she beat him into my office. And she said, okay, I'm ready to take the test. This is a true story. Because she knew how to drive. She'd just never done it before. My concern for us sometimes is that we know a lot about relationships. Right? And I don't want to say that we've never done it before, but I'm just saying that there's a God. And, and just to be a willingness to continue to learn and to grow, which comes with a, a level of humility and a willingness to come under the grace that God gives. And I'll, I, I need to finish. We've got a bit of a late start, and I want to get us um, to a place of response quickly. 
But I'll say this, that the third statement I heard God make, and this was the theme. Maybe I don't need to preach it so much because it was the theme in worship this morning, and we did not collaborate. We celebrated a little that we would get to be here together, but we did not collaborate. But the third thing I heard God say was this, that surrender or submission is relational gold with God. A willingness just to surrender our own plans and schemes and dreams is relational gold with God, James 4, 5 through 8. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He made to dwell in us? Which reminds me, pause, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, which says, Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Catch back up with verse 6. He says that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, yearns jealously over the Spirit that is made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Now, the preceding verses, verses 1 through 4, speak of all the relational challenges and difficulties we have in walking out our God life. And so then Paul steps in, or James, sorry, steps in and says, therefore it says, God opens the, or opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, in response to that reality, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Thomas Merton said it this way. He said, the whole Christian life is a life which the further a person progresses, the more he has to depend directly on God. The more we progress, the less we are self-sufficient. The more we progress, the poorer in spirit we get. So that the man who has progressed most is most dependent. He has to depend directly on God because he has nothing left in himself. Would to God, Tom, I just would, would to God I could get to that place of surrender. What an amazing place. I think it's our destiny. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 7. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now, if you read the preceding six verses, again for the sake of time, I didn't put them in these notes, but I would encourage you to do that because the first re- response and relationship even that Jesus himself gave, Matt, was he said, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. So that was even his first relationship. But then he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Relationship. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And the branch is surrendered to the vine. That's my point in that. Listen, the branch never said to the vine, you're really holding me back. I wish I could get away from you. Because when the branch is severed from the vine, the branch dies. for us to God help us surrender let me ask us this question then what do we hold on to at the expense of our relationship with God and the life we are meant to live because again surrender is relational gold and after calling the crowd to him, to him with his disciples he said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would lose his life would or save his life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You've suffered enough with me to know that that's one of my very favorite verses. I, I don't do a lot of jokes, but I thought this one was hilarious and it makes a good point. But there's a story about an airplane that was a, it was a very small plane that was just hauling five passengers. And midway through this relatively short puddle jump in flight, the plane, the engine started to cut out. 
and the plane was having some sputtering issues, and all of a sudden, man, the pilot just comes busting out of the cockpit with the parachute on. And he says, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is this plane is going down. The good news is there's a row of parachutes on that wall, although there are five of you and only four. Good luck with that. And he jumped out of the plane. So now there was one of the five passengers who jumped up and she said, I'm a neurosurgeon, one of the most renowned on the Northeast, and so I'm obviously very important to my patients. Several people counting on me. She grabbed a parachute and out the door. She went too. And then a man jumped up after her and he said, I'm a lawyer, a very important lawyer in a very large law firm, and the law firm would fall apart if it weren't for me, and he put on a parachute and gone was he. And then another man jumped up and he said, I am purported to be the smartest man in the world with the highest IQ ever recorded. In fact, I never say it out loud because I don't want to embarrass everyone. And so he grabbed a parachute and he also was gone and out of the place. So then there were left two. And one was an aged minister and one was a teenage boy. And the aged minister said to the boy, he said, you know, son, I've had a good life, a good run. There's a lot of life ahead of you, in front of you. And he said, so you take that last parachute and God bless you and and good luck. And the young man said, Sir, that's very kind of you, and it means a lot to me. But it's really not necessary that either of us should die, because the smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my knapsack. <laughs> not sure if he can preach after that, but I... Mark 10, verse 21, Jesus said this, and Jesus looking at him, him being the rich young ruler, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. You know this story. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartens this one that we refer to as the rich young ruler by his saying, went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. You know that story. You know it well. He came, he wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, essentially to him, go give everything away that's more important to you than me. It's not a story about possessions. It's a story about, it's not a story about stuff. It's a story about heart. And that's not to say that Jesus wants you to become a martyr or it's not to say that he means for you to stay in an abusive relationship or to be a perpetual doormat with no boundaries. That's not what surrender means in the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you should never have any goals that God has given you that are worth fighting for, worth trusting and trying. But it does mean this, that in our lives we should realize that in losing our agenda, our control, our wants, we find our true identity and purpose. Come on, somebody. I'm reading because I go faster when I read it's not that nothing is lost, it's that something more important is gained. I said, well, surrender. What am I supposed to surrender? I don't have anything. If empty is what you get, or excuse me, if empty is what you got, then give empty. If nothing's what you feel like you have, then give that. What God really wants, and you've heard me say this from you, is you. And surrender is relational gold with God. It's not that God likes that so much that He tries harder to be close to you. He, his effort is always the same. It's that there's so much less stuff in the way. My concern, though, is that often what we give God is our leftovers when what God deserves and desires is first fruit. And in fact, what He wants is all we have. Is it dangerous? Sure it is. 
On some level it is. Again, it's not that nothing will ever be lost, but it's not so much about what's lost, but rather about what is gained. Karen says something a lot, which she used to never say, but she says this a lot. She says, just risk, let's just risk the ocean. And when we were just now at Folly Beach at the wedding and watching Daniel and Ben, man, run toward the beach after they had been pronounced husband and wife, me and Jake had chatted a bit about what that freight risk the ocean. The reason that came up was because we had played some in the sea, <laughs> Jacob and I, and then we were reading about lemon sharks and stuff. I got way out there where I couldn't touch anymore. And I was thinking, you know, occasionally there, were a, there was a dolphin or two and some fish swimming in the wave and stuff. And I thought, you know, there's an incredible entire ecosystem just below me. But for me, there's nothing here but me. That's not true, but that's how it seems or feels. And the reason they say risk the ocean is because it's a bit risky. It's not without risk. I don't think it's particularly dangerous, but anyway... It's not commentary on that. But here's what I felt like the Lord said to me about that that I want to say to you as I close. Just this, that. Well, first of all, ships are not made for the harbor. You know that. But here's the promise that God gives. It isn't that, that there will never even be a shipwreck in your life, that, that if you risk the ocean... You know, I'm reminded of what uh, the Lord said to the Apostle Paul standing on the deck of uh, a boat that was hauling him away to, to Rome. And he said, the ship, the word of the Lord to him that he shared with the men that was too difficult to believe was that the ship will be lost, but none of you will die. And there are times in our lives when we surrender ourselves to God and there is a risk involved. But what we won't lose is the thing that otherwise we could never gain. You might even be shipwrecked, but you'll never be lost at sea. And it's not a safety net we're talking about. It's not a backup plan. It's the hand of God that will sustain us. And it's the heart of the Father that will always find us. So, Lord, thank you for today. We are so out of time. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for relationship, Lord. Thank you for relationship. God, just help us. Help us to live out Deuteronomy chapter 6, Lord, that we would just... Keep the first things first, Lord, that order is important. God, that we would help us as families, as friends, to consistently, uh, Lord, as you said, in, through Moses to the children of Israel, to write it on our doorpost, to keep it in our conversation, to talk about who you are and why you matter so much. And Lord, just to continue to press in. Lord, give, give us a continuing education program. Call it life if you want, Lord, discipleship. And Jesus, not just to depend on the church to provide that for us, but to understand that a lot of the key ingredients just exist in our own, our own homes, our own worlds, our own lives, Lord. This is not TV dinner Christianity. This is what you do in us every day as we grow and walk and work with you. And God, that we would just surrender and submit ourselves to you under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. James 4.10, and he will exalt you. So Lord, that's your call. And your cause, ours is to know you. So let that be true in Jesus' name.